Well, tonight, as I said, is uh, Preach the Word Night, and uh, we've done this. This is our third one we've done, uh, where we give some uh, men, young men, uh, doesn't really matter the age, uh, an opportunity to uh, preach here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Um, I don't want to be the only preacher here. Um, I want their, this church to be filled with men who could preach. Um, and we get this uh, from 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And I read this to our preachers tonight, but 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, where Paul says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And then he tells Timothy in verse 2 to preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. So um, this is what we're supposed to do. Um, a church is supposed to be um, a place where people hear preaching. Um, and uh, but it's not just uh, relegated to just one person. And certainly, uh, I have the time. Um, I am able to give the time to preach on a very regular basis, and I enjoy doing so. But I don't need to be the only one doing it in our church. I think that's kind of unhealthy if there's only one person in the church that can preach. I think it's a sign of a healthy church when there are multiple men who can stand up and preach the Word of God. And in Acts chapter number 15, <clears throat> in verse number uh, 33, it says, After they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren of the apostles. Now, notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. And then it talks about the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. This is Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Uh, so, it's not just, it didn't just fall on Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they preached the word, they taught and preached the word of the Lord, but uh, many others also were part of that ministry too. And I'm thankful for the many other also uh, tonight who are willing to get behind this pulpit and declare uh, the holy word of God. And uh, so for those who are not preaching tonight, let's have open ears, open hearts to the word of God. And uh, these men, um, I've taken the time to prepare these messages, and they've uh, mustered up the courage to preach the message that they've prepared. And that's, that's half the battle right there. Um, that's sometimes harder than the, pre the preparation part, is just getting the courage and the nerves to get up and, and do it. So uh, give them your attention and uh, focus on what the Lord has for us tonight. Um, our first preacher is... Uh, Brother Bryce Luno, uh, Brother Bryce, if you want to go ahead and come on up here, wherever you may be. Um, I don't even see. Oh, there he is. Okay, there he is. Um, Brother Bryce and, uh, and Miss Rosanna were the first couple that I baptized here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. So a very special uh, connection that I have with them, and uh, we sure love them and appreciate them here. Brother Bryce, I'm thankful that you were willing to come tonight and preach God's Word. So without further ado... You're on, brother. Is this on yet? Good? Well, Pastor mentioned nerves, so I got a solution. Uh, has anybody seen that Harry Bow gummy bear commercial? 
where all the grown-ups talk like kids. Well, teach, since I'm doing Sunday school, I've been doing that for the past year. That's what I'm going to kind of visualize here today. Maybe it'll help me out a little bit. Uh, we're going to be in Proverbs is where we're going to start. And Proverbs 25, we're going to start in uh, 29, verse 4 through 5. Okay, the title of my message here is All That Glitters. And it goes here, Proverbs 29, verse 4 through 5. It says, The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthrow it. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. So we just finished Christmas, and that's kind of when I was going through thinking about this message Christmas was there. Actually, mistakenly thought this message was going to be on Christmas. So even uh, kind of helped me guide this message a little bit. But during Christmas, many of us received gifts. We gave gifts, and that's kind of the season. Of course, we got we're celebrating the best gift at all, Jesus coming down here. Um, but that got me thinking: What is a good gift? What is a bad gift? I know the pastor. Uh, a few weeks ago, kind of touched on the wise men and some of their good gifts, their uh, pro uh, prophecy gifts that they gave. And so I wanted to kind of go a little bit on some bad gifts. So I went and I searched online of what some bad Christmas gifts were. And uh, the first one came up with living pets. I guess you don't want to give someone a job. I guess you don't want to give them a responsibility. Uh, cleaning supplies. Self-help books. Wrinkle cream or hair dye, souvenirs, or foods for, uh, with allergens in it if someone's allergic to it. So you don't want to give gluten cookies to someone that has a gluten allergy. Um, I will admit I've probably done half of these. Um, living pets, I gave uh, Rose a dog for our anniversary and some pots and pans and things. But, you know, in my mind, especially thinking of us guys, all that glitters is not gold. I think many have heard that. Well, in my mind, all that glitters. It seems like, well, they need it. They like it. They've seen the commercial, and they're wowed. You know, so it should be a good gift, right? But it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes what we think on the outside or what our intentions are uh, may not be a good gift. Okay? Now, I want to look at uh, uh, verses in Proverbs again. Okay, verse 4. The king by judgment establisheth the land. So it's basically meaning a ruler or a leader that rules well that is impartial, that has good laws, obeys by them, establish good groundwork for, for their land, for their people. But it continues on, but he that receiveth gifts overthrow it. So therefore, if a ruler starts accepting bribes, if a ruler starts accepting uh, deals, or starts making things for their own selfish gain, then they're basically turning their people into prey. They're becoming wicked, and now they've turned their people to prey. So we got to watch out for that, okay? Because it may be, uh, it may be slow at first. You don't know what's happening. And then before you know it, you're caught up in it. Which brings me to Proverbs 29, verse 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net before his feet. So in other words, someone that gives overwhelming compliments or gives excess gifts... I would say should probably be suspect. 
okay? Not all the times, maybe they have good intentions, but a lot of the times if someone is over-complimenting you or showering you with gifts, they're either trying to hide something from you or they're trying to get something from you. Um, now, I may have learned some of this. Now, I'll, I'll say this for Jared. In prison, I learned some of this in prison. As I was a guard in prison and, and worked there. So just to clarify. Um, but no, but it's, it's true in real life, though. Because like, even if it's uh, someone, maybe it's, it literally is your next-door neighbor. If they're always complimenting you on your yard, giving you all these gifts, it's like, what are they trying to hide? What are they doing in their house? Um, or, what are they, or maybe they're trying to um, befriend you so you won't um, become privy of what they're doing. Or maybe they're trying to kind of entice you to come and get whatever sin they may be involved in. Um, but they can uh, have evil motives. Like I said, maybe they're trying to slowly uh, get you to be on their side on a certain topic. Maybe they don't, you didn't know, but maybe they're trying to go against the neighborhood association. And they're just trying to, the whole time, they're just trying to get you on their side. Well, I don't like the color of shingles they chose. So I just really want you on my side to go against that. So they aren't really have ulterior motives there. Okay. Um, but the other thing they can do is maybe they don't mean anything. Maybe it's completely innocent. But it can also give you a false confidence and make you become prideful. Maybe corrupt your morals. Um, what comes to mind to me is if, say, you, have a, you thought you had a great business idea, and then the neighbor's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And they're talking about it. You should do it. Then you invest all your money in this business idea. And it really wasn't that good. They're just trying to be polite. Then you lose your money. But they're just you know, trying to compliment you, keep you going. So you've got to watch out because it can, it can make you boastful. Which takes me to Proverbs 25, verse 14. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. So when we come puffed up with pride, we brag about maybe our perceived strengths, or we posture ourselves as being better than others, then a lot of times those around us expect more. Like, okay, well, they say they're good at this. They say they're the best soccer player there is out there. Well, then when you go out there and play, they're going to expect you to make all the goals or something. They're going to expect you to live up to your expectations. So when it doesn't happen, then you're creating yourself an opportunity to be humbled. Okay, You're creating an opportunity for failure to happen. Uh, much like I think of this, this verse, most of themselves is a false gift like clouds and wind without rain. I think of a farmer during a drought looking up literally at the sky, seeing the darkening clouds, hoping for rain. But then when there's no rain, the fruits of the field don't grow. Okay, that, That's much like us. If we're just boasting ourselves up, but we can't actually live up to those, we're just setting ourselves up for no fruit. We're setting ourselves up for failure. So we need to be sure that we stay humble in, in the gifts that, that we have. And, and that brings me to, uh, let's see here, okay, my notes, uh, about good gifts. Because I'm kind of going through uh, bad gifts. Of course, some of them are tangible, things you can hold and touch. Some of them are intangible, things you can't touch. And, and some of them are even spiritual in nature. In James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Okay, so God never changes. His standards never change. Okay, the gifts that we have, 
may be different, but his expectation of how we use those gifts or what is a good gift, they don't, they don't waver. A good gift will never require lies or deceit to obtain it. Okay, so say a job application. If you falsify your job application and lie on it and you get that job, is that a good gift? I say it's a corrupt gift. You may get it, but now it's been corrupted. You, you've achieved that with lies. Uh, another example is uh, even if you're on a job or you're in school and you're cheating on a paper to get a good grade or your boss tells you, hey, you know, we got this audit coming up, but just don't write that up on there. We'll hide that and to get a good audit. Well, that's not a good gift either. So you get a good audit. Well, you've corrupted that audit. Okay, because now your boss knows what you've done. The person next to you in your class kind of knows what you've done. And worst of all, God knows what you've done. Okay? So if you gain job, money, or other benefits from sinful actions, the gift is corrupted and you set yourself up again to be humbled. In Matthew 6, 19-20, it says, Lay not up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart. So are we pursuing gifts from man or for our own greed, our own pleasure? God gives us all gifts that we can use for His glory, but we have the choice of how we're going to use them. In 1 Corinthians 13.2, Paul speaks, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. Here Paul isn't saying he has all these gifts, but he's saying if someone, say had the gift of, of all prophecy, they understood everything. If they had all faith where they could literally move mountains, okay, if they just had all the, the greatest gifts you can think of, but they had not charity, they had not love, they had not did it for the right reasons, it's worthless. The best gift is in worthless. So I can get think of uh, two examples real quick um, of, uh, say in school, you got uh, someone that's in athletics and academia. So, okay, these are good talents or gifts, spiritual gifts you have. Uh, athletics and academia over here, both of them, they can use their gift there of knowledge or strength to achieve maybe a scholarship for higher learning. That'd be good. They can coach others, mentor others, build people up with them. As they get more successful, they could give to charity, kind of to share what they've learned. But also it can be a bad gift. They can become high-minded to pursue greed, maybe even cheat the system. So in closing... I would want to go to Proverbs 16.2. It says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. So, And then in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, Our gifts in our eyes may appear shining, they may even appear shiny to others, but God sees what's underneath. And a lot of times we should be praying for Him to convict us if we're looking at something that's glittering that is false underneath. And beware of gifts. I mean, pray on them. Think about them. Be aware of what you're getting and how you're using them. Using them for the right reasons.
So in that, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you just for this time to be up here. I thank you for everyone that's here today to listen and online that's listening and watching. I just pray that something in this message uh, touch them, something from your word. I, I pray that uh, whatever gifts, whether it's a tangible gift they may have received, whether it's a spiritual gift, whether it's a, whatever it is in their life that, that they've received, whether on a job or in school or something that they, they think on and about how they can use it to glorify you, Lord, and that you convict them if they start heading down the wrong path with that and uh, sharpen others around them. I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Bryce, and a uh, good challenge for us, and uh, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift, and we do need to remember every good gift that we have is not because of how great we are, it's because of how great He is, and then we do need to be a good um, steward of that gift. Um, so anyway, appreciate the reminder there and to not get puffed up about the gifts that maybe God has given you and uh, to look down upon others. I know that that is something that some people do and uh, sometimes perhaps even I'm tempted to do, but uh, great challenge there. Well, our next preacher um, is uh, Brother Lucas Harris. Uh, Brother Lucas and uh, his wife, Kaylin, um, have been a blessing to our church. I'm so great grateful that the Lord brought him here. I was kind of surprised that the Lord brought him here uh, for our church, and uh, but I'm so glad that they did that he did. And uh, speaking of gifts, uh, this this family is a great gift to us. So, Brother Lucas, I'm looking forward to the message that God has laid on your heart. All right. Good evening. Is this thing on? Cool. Uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> so today I'm going to talk a little bit about citizenship. Citizenship is something that gives us the rights and privileges that we enjoy. As an American citizen, we have freedoms and rights that uh, a non-citizen doesn't have. We're able to go get a job and earn a living. We can buy a car, drive it on public roads, and we have the right to vote for who we feel should be in office. Uh, there are many rights that we receive as citizens. <clears throat> but as citizens, we can't just do whatever we want. We have a set of laws that we have to follow to keep order. We also have taxes that we pay to the government to keep the government running, to keep our roads in good condition, etc. Um, these are all responsibilities that we have as citizens in the U.S. Um, Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. <clears throat> we see in this chapter that after we're saved, we become fellow citizens with the saints. We are now part of God's family. And through that, we have our citizenship in heaven. We're no longer citizens of earth. Because of that, we have um, a bunch of benefits as well as certain responsibilities. As citizens of heaven, we should first, I think, be proud of, of our citizenship. So for those of you who don't know, I'm a dual citizen. I was born in the US, um, but I was raised in Canada from age three to age 20. Um, I'm very proud to be an American, but I'm also proud to be a Canadian. Um, now that I live in the US though, I find that I have more patriotism for Canada than when I live there. 
something about being the only Canadian around um, just makes me feel like I should represent Canada with pride, just as I'm sure any American would feel if the roles were switched. Well, being American or Canadian is all well and good, but we have a citizenship that is far greater than either of those. We are citizens of heaven. We're children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we should be so much more proud of, our, of that citizenship than any other citizenship we have, we have on this earth. <clears throat> I've never been to an Olympic tournament, but I have seen them on TV. You can see how proudly Americans are to be representing the US. They fly their flag, they wear the red, white, and blue, and they make it very known with their voices um, that they are proud to be American. Yet it seems that all too often the opposite is true for us as Christians. We seem almost ashamed to say that we're Christians because we just want to fit in, or we don't want to start uh, a conversation about it because we're too afraid of confrontation. That's something I'm definitely guilty of myself sometimes. <clears throat> but God tells us in his word that he's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God wants us to be strong in our faith and proud to be a Christian. We as Christians should be shouting from the rooftops who we belong to. So also, as citizens, I think that we should be craving the things of our country. So in Canada, we have a delicious food called poutine. And for those of you who don't know what that is, poutine is fresh cut French fries with mozzarella cheese curds melted with hot beef gravy on top. I know at first glance it might not sound super appetizing to everybody, but it really is quite amazing. <laughs> um, this is something obviously that I crave often. <laughs> Um, we as Christians and citizens of heaven should be craving the things of God. Living in such a sinful world, we're so separated from our God, it, it's just so refreshing to sit down with the Word of God and just be filled with its goodness. Now just as I crave that poutine from Canada, I think we should be craving the words of our King. Um, as citizens of heaven also, we should be different. Romans 12.2 says, uh, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As citizens of heaven, we should see a defined, the, the people of the world should see a defined difference in us. We should talk and act different than the world. I'm sure a lot of you have noticed that I put A into sentences a lot. <laughs> and that's because I'm from Canada. Um, people know that I'm not from around here. And if any of you visited another country, I'm sure people would know that you aren't from around there as soon as you said, y'all. <laughs> well, as Christians, we should see the same reactions from the world. They should notice that we're not like everyone else. If you could turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We see, oh, gotta flip the page. <clears throat> so, um, we see in this uh, verse that uh, God calls us ambassadors. The job of an ambassador is to represent his or her country and its interests on foreign soil. An ambassador doesn't just sit in an embassy office all the time and do nothing. They go out and actively convey their country's interest. As an ambassador of God, my main goal in life is to follow the leading of my king. God uses us to reach the lost. That means that to be an effective ambassador, he is to determine where I go and what I do. 
Wherever he leads me, I will follow, because that is my responsibility as his ambassador. How effective would an ambassador be if he always did what he wanted and completely disregarded his superiors? Let's just say he would probably cause a lot of problems and would not be useful anymore. I don't want to be disobedient to my king, because then I won't be a useful asset for him. I know that if I'm following my God's leading, then he can use me to accomplish his will. The Bible is very clear that our mission on earth is to share his word with the world. That is our job as Christian ambassadors. Mark 16:15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In conclusion, I hope that we don't forget that our citizenship does not lie in this world. We are citizens and ambassadors of heaven, and our purpose and responsibility is to spread God's word throughout the earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I just ask that you please help us to remember, Lord, that we have a citizenship far greater than um, anything that we hold on earth. Lord, let us remember that. And Lord, let us be ambassadors to the, to the lost world. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, eh? Amen, eh? <laughs> remember, uh, I don't know if this, this was the case for anybody else. Uh, when I was in elementary school, um, there was one of the one of the things that showed up on my report card was one of the things I was graded on was citizenship. What what kind of a child was I in the classroom? Was I involved? Was I engaged? Was I uh, listening to the teacher? Was I was I helpful to the others around around me? And uh, I think that would be a good a good thing to ask ourselves. What what would we get if we were graded? on our citizenship when it comes to the kingdom of God. How are we doing in that? And uh, what grade would you get? Um, so thanks for the challenge there. And I'm thankful that we are uh, citizens of a greater kingdom than this world has to offer. And, you know, America is a pretty great country. Eh, uh, sometimes when you look at it, it's not as great. But um, I am thankful to be an American citizen, but uh, but there is one that's far greater. It's far more superior, and it will never it will never like fade away. There'll never be a fall of that kingdom. Um, it will last forever. So uh, thanks for the reminder and the challenge there, brother Shane. Go ahead and come on up here, brother. Uh, I'm thankful for the McMillans and how the Lord led them here too, um, all the way from should we say it publicly, California. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm grateful that God did lead them here from California, and they, we've known them for years. Uh, they used to go to the church that we were part of in California, and uh, the Lord uh, kind of opened up the door for them to move out here and really called them to be here, and I'm so glad that they have moved out here by faith, and uh, they've been a great blessing to us as a family, but also to our church as well. And uh, Brother Shane um, has a real desire to communicate truth, and uh, so uh, tonight he's going to come and be our third preacher tonight. Brother Shane. All right. Thank you, Pastor Johnson. I uh, appreciate all of you for giving me an opportunity to uh, speak here and present a message on the important topic of spiritual warfare. 
I was teaching on this topic at a prior church in a Sunday school for about a year. Don't worry, we're only going to take about 10 minutes. <laughs> but I believe this is a specific aspect of spiritual warfare that has not been well addressed in most Christian churches, so I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing a message um, tonight called Winning the Battle for Your Mind, Winning the Battle for Your Mind. I'd like to start off with praying. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you have given us your Holy Spirit as fallen sinners for eternal life. We praise you for your holy word to help us live for you. Please illuminate us this evening that we may be better win the battle of our minds, more diligently protect ourselves from evil, and therefore glorify you. Please help me to submit to you and honor your word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first of all, what is the battle that we're talking about? When we are saved, we are transformed into the new child of God. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So Christians are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but why do we struggle with many sinful thoughts and feelings? Let's turn to 1 Peter 5.8-9. 1 Peter 5.8-9. Be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So all believers have become enemies of Satan, and God calls us to be aware and alert about our enemy and to resist him. So now let's turn to Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So God commands us to stand against the wiles of the devil, and that is the spiritual battle that we're talking about today. So what does that have to do with your mind? Well, Satan is the father of lies, and in one of his primary schemes is to put thoughts in our mind. Let's look at an example in Acts 5.3, and here we see Satan put thoughts into Ananias' mind. Acts 5.3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back a part of the price of the land? The Bible says the strong word heart is the word cardian, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'll go with that one, uh, which means the heart, i.e. thoughts and feelings. So we may remember this story from the early church, right? When Ananias sold a piece of the land and he donated the entire price, he said he donated the entire uh, price of the piece of the land, but he lied and he only donated half of it. So how do we win the battle for our minds? First, we need to be alert and vigilant about what we are thinking about, right? If we look back to 1 Peter, 8, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9 again, it starts off with be sober and be vigilant. So God commands us to be alert. So let's ask an important question. Are you vigilant in discerning the thoughts that Satan puts in your mind versus your own thoughts? Let me repeat that. Are you vigilant at discerning the thoughts that Satan puts in your mind versus your own thoughts? And further, are your thoughts honoring to God? And if not, why not? 
So I know many Christians struggle with this command, including myself. Many are not often even aware of it. If you accept Satan, if you accept Satan's thoughts and don't reject them, you're subject to temptation, which can lead you to sin. If you want to live for God, you need to win the battle for your mind, avoid sinful thoughts, and thereby honor God with your actions. So again, how do you win the battle for your mind? I'm glad you asked. We have probably all heard sermons from James 4.7, so let's turn to James 4.7, one of our favorites. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But what does that really mean? We understand that if we submit our will to the will of God, then we will do what God is calling us to do in His power. Satan is no match for the infinite power of God, so then Satan will flee. Here's a commentary by uh, Matthew Henry that I really like. So, here you go. Quote, Submit your understanding to the truth of God. Submit your wills to the will of His precept, the will of His providence. Submit yourselves to God, for He is ready to do you good. If we yield to temptations, the devil will continually follow us. But if we put on the whole armor of God and stand out against him, he will leave us. Let sinners then submit to God and seek his grace and favor, resisting the devil. But again, how do we actually do that? I think there's a more specific and practical teaching that's often missed in the churches today. So if we want to resist, we first need to hold every thought captive. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 10.5, uh, because this is the key verse that helps pull this all together tonight. 2 Corinthians 10.5. <clears throat> "...casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." So what are our imaginations here? Uh, Barnes' commentary says they are, quote, all the plans of the wicked world, the various systems of false philosophy. And what is, quote, every high thing? Barnes says, again, all the, that's all the pride of the human heart. So both of these oppose the knowledge of God. So how do we bring every thought captive? As we discussed earlier, we need to be aware of our thoughts, but we also need to hold them in your mind as a captive to decide if they're in obedience to Christ. So we need one more verse to wrap this up. Let's go to Philippians 4.8. You probably know that one by heart. This will sound familiar. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. So now that we're holding our thought captive, we need to determine, is it coming from God or not? We need to decide if it is true or honorable or praiseworthy. If so, meditate on it, act on it, and follow it for God's will. But if the thought does not pass the biblical test and is not a God, then what do we do? We resist that thought by throwing it out. Reject it. We should tear down that lie or stronghold with the truth of the Holy Word. In many cases, this can end temptation right there. Or over time, it can break down sinful habits or addictions. So let's go back to Ananias as an example here. He wanted to donate a large amount of money to the Christian church, so he sold his land, and that was good. 
At some point, though, Satan tempted him with pride and put a thought in Ananias' mind. What was that thought? To lie to the church and tell them that he and his wife were donating the full price of the land when they were only donating half the price. So Ananias should have held that thought captive. He should have put that thought to the test of God's word, which is very straightforward. Thou shalt not lie, right? It seems his greed was leading him to keep half the money, and his pride was leading him to lie. So he failed to cast down the imaginations. He did not submit to God, but instead accepted Satan's temptation and acted out the sinful thought. So what was the result? God brought judgment, which was death on the spot. So in closing, God calls us to submit to him and resist the devil so that he will flee. One of Satan's primary schemes is to put his thoughts in our mind. God wants us to be vigilant with our thoughts. We are to hold our thoughts captive and not act on our emotion. We're to honor Christ with our thoughts and not reject them, um, but we are to resist them in God's power. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom of the Holy Word and the praise you're giving us, these protections from these schemes of the evil one. Please help us to fully submit to you, for you are the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. We humbly ask you that you help us be wise and guide us so that we can win the battle of our minds and hold every thought captive and resist temptation and avoid sin. We pray for your mighty blessings on all that hear this message, and we ask that you would lead us to stand strong for you and be courageous to share the gospel in this fallen world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Brother Shane. Thank you. And uh, really, that that message can really not be, uh, the importance of that cannot be overstated. Um, Romans 8, uh, Paul said this. He, here, here's the reason why what he just spoke on is so important. He said in Romans 8, uh, verse number 6, For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So it's not just that, well, that's a nice thought. You know, maybe I should work on that. Um, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I think all of us would prefer the second part of that verse. We probably would prefer the life and peace part. Um, But that's only going to be so if we are following what he just talked about. Taking every thought that comes into our mind and and ask ourselves, is this is this Satan's thought here? Is he trying to get me to go the wrong direction? So thank you for that challenge. I appreciate that very much, Brother Shane. And uh, that that was a great message. All all of these have been wonderful. I appreciate it. And at this time, Brother Jared's going to come, and uh, he preached for us last. Preached the word night, and did a great job. And uh, was interested in doing it again, and I said, absolutely, brother. So, and uh, so go ahead and come on up. I, we can actually raise this thing up for you. Should we do that? Here we go. So a little bit higher than uh, than normal, uh, but uh, but thanks thanks to brother um, Bubier for for making this pulpit, so you can feel a little more comfortable. <laughs> but go ahead and preach for us, brother. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Please watch over us tonight and keep us safe, blessed, and protected, Lord. And and if anything comes out of my message, let each and every person at least take home one thing of value to them, Lord. And just and we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Amen. So there's a little bit of a sweat puddle going on up here. I might need to get a mop up here. No. Uh, <laughs> um, 
We're going to be in 1 John 3.17. We're kind of going to jump around a little bit. So I'll let you know whenever it's might need to flip. But um, this is called Helping a Soul in Need. So in 1 John 3.17, it says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? We always take that as a verse that's saying like, oh man, if, if, if someone needs something like um, money or food, you know, and we, we, we have abundance and we're holding it for ourselves, but what if we see it as, as um, a spiritual need? So helping someone in need could just, it could mean many things. Um, stopping every once in a while and getting someone a sandwich who may be of less fortune than you, but most of all, feeling the need to spread the gospel to someone because they're in a spiritual need. Um, and we got to plant that seed in them, and, and God puts that feeling on our heart, you know? And, and I've recently felt that more and more, and um, you'll just be sitting somewhere and feel like, i got to go witness to this person, you know? And you got to obey that. you got to learn. we got to learn to be, be disciplined to obey that feeling. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, you got to get to the point where you don't disobey that voice. And as soon as you feel that in your heart, you got to make a plan. You know, how am I going to, you know, because each person has a different need. They have a different uh, way that you feel like maybe you should approach them, you know. And, um, and now granted, you know, at restaurants sometimes, the plan entails, you know, maybe waiting till the end of the meal to witness to, to your, your waiter or waitress. Because the last person you want mad at you is, is the person bringing you your food, you know. So, um, but a lot of people in this room, we're, we're the around the corners. You know, we got people out there who are around the world, but we're the around the corners. And we have to, we have to take that to heart, take, take meaning to that. Um, you know, and, and you're going to run into people who have those bad reactions, you know. And I've started to learn that more and more. It's... Um, and it, and it puts something nervous in you. You start thinking, man, I don't really want to go approach someone because you never know how they're going to react. And because some people are really closed-minded and they get, they get rude and they, they just want you to go away. And, and you've got to learn how to be disciplined to, to you know, just say, okay. You know, and it makes you feel defeated. So how are we to react? And... You can't, you can't be like, well, why would you talk to me like that for? You know, you don't deserve to hear this, you know, because um, that, that, that'll surely push them farther away from wanting to listen to someone else in the future. And, um, and we've got to learn to take that nervousness and kind of shove it down and, and get excited to go tell someone. Get, get excited, get pumped, because this is like, um, like Brother Lucas was saying, you know, we're citizens of heaven we got to get other people their citizenships, you know. Um, so, and you don't have to turn here, but the Bible says in Titus 3, verse 2, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto men, all men. And Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And that's where I got the point of, of don't push someone farther away from God. Just Say, okay, and walk away, you know. When me and my wife were at a restaurant, we were just sitting there eating, and, and I was looking around the restaurant, and I saw a man sitting by himself. And I, I immediately felt like I needed to talk to him. And, and so I, I was sitting, sitting there all nervous because I felt, I felt off. And um, I got the courage to, to obey. Um, and I asked him, 
Can I ask you a, a question? And he looked up from his food. He was like, about what? And I said, do you happen to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or would you like to know him? And he, he just said, well, I know more about that stuff than you. And I said, okay, well, could I at least get your name? And he's like, that, none of your business. And I said, okay, God bless you. Have a nice day. And sometimes it, it, you want to get argumentative, you know. It's that spirit of the, Satan wanting to use you as, a, as an angry vessel, <laughs> you know. And, but you have, to, you have to give soft answers to them, you know. Because maybe someday one of you will run into that same person, and they'll be more willing to listen, you know. But um, so that brings me to... Uh, you know, what could it have shown me for giving that, that soft answer, you know? One, because I was wondering, why, you know, why God? Why are you, why did you send me over to somebody that you knew was going to get angry with me, you know, re- reject it? You know, and it taught me, you know, the importance of ke- uh, keeping your composure. And, you know, not everyone is going to be willing to converse with you. And the importance of answering softly. That's, that's something we all have to remember. Um, now, why should I follow that feeling in my heart to leave what I'm doing and go talk to some random person? Well, one, because, I mean, that's what we're called to do. But two, Mark 16, verse 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's one of our biggest purposes in life. And, and some of us just kind of go through life with our invitation, like Brother Eric has preached on, Pastor, and he... he tells us, you know, we've we got to remember we're, we're here in, in more. We're the more uh, missionaries, you know. And, and that's something I've been kind of working on myself because it's, you pass a bunch of people and, and you know you're going to see a lot of those people at that great white throne judgment. And it's going to be a bad feeling, but it's, you know. But there's, here's one that I want you to turn with me to. Um, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 through 23. I've been talking about being obedient to um, listen into those feelings that the Lord's put on me. But it says there, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than that the fat of rams. And then it says in verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected thee from being king. So there's one verse in there I wanted to, or one, one uh, part of the text I wanted to highlight. Um, and this one hit me pretty hard. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And um, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, that's me sometimes. And, I, you know, I don't want to feel like, man, I'm almost in that category with witchcraft sometimes. That's an evil thing. Um, so we have to learn how to obey that voice because if you don't, you know, you, you don't want to be in that category. But so is that rebellion? If, if God puts something on your hearts and we choose not to go through with whatever that may be, whether it's making amends with someone and you, you're like, no, let me put that off. You know, you're, you're rebelling against that and what God's putting on your heart. But as we close, you know, if God puts something on your heart, I'd say that's, that's some good motivation to, to go out and fix whatever that is or get that taken care of. Like I said, making amends with someone. Or maybe there's someone at your job that you just haven't got around to witnessing to that you know that you need to get around to doing something like that.
Um, so we have to spread the word. We have to plant those seeds. We have to help lift people to their feet. We have to help lift the spiritual veil from the world one person at a time. Because you know, Satan, he puts that veil over your eyes. And sometimes it's a really tough veil. You know, some people have it layered thick, on, you know, and, and it, it, you've got to keep working at it. So soft answers and keep your composure. I'd like to pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I was, I was kind of nervous, Lord, but thank you for letting me work my way through this, and hopefully, hopefully the people out here could take something from this, and, and um, just watch over us as we, as we go home here in, in, a, in a little while, and, and I pray for Luke as he comes up to preach, Lord, and we give you all the praise and glory. Jesus, let me pray. Amen. That's a convicting message. Uh, God has called us to be the light and to be ambassadors of Christ. We already heard that. Uh, and he brought up the, the great white throne judgment. And then right after that passage in Revelation, that, that's, in, that's at the end of Revelation 20, the beginning of Revelation 21, in verse number 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So I'm thankful that there'll be no more tears, but I wonder why there are tears after the great white throne judgment. Could it be that we're seeing people that God brought across our path that we had an opportunity to witness to, and for one reason or another, we rebelled against the prodding of the Holy Spirit because we were maybe too self-conscious, afraid of what they might think, say, do, and we put it off, and then we see them at the great white throne, and I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Um, the Bible's not exactly clear um, on all of that, but it, it's speculation that that's a reason we'll have tears that God will need to wipe away. Um, but uh, we have the opportunity right now to witness to the people that God does put into our path. So let's not have tears there. Let's have tears of um, weeping and um, Psalm 126. I'm just going to turn there here. I know I'm not preaching, but uh, you know. Uh, Psalm 126 says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So let's, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. So let's sow in those tears and uh, be compassionate. And uh, we have the gospel, we've been saved. And uh, there's a lot of people who haven't been. And let's not look down our nose at them because they're not like us, but rather let's um, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So, Jared, thanks for the reminder and the encouragement there. All right, Brother Luke, Sonny, come on up. Um, he'll be the last preacher for tonight. And, uh, of course, I get to have the last word, you know, um, after he's up. But um, Luke has been a blessing. I've enjoyed watching him grow. Uh, not just up, um, but growing in the Lord and having a desire to serve the Lord. And uh, so he's going to come and preach for us tonight. I turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to be reading verses 22 through 33. So tonight, um, the message is... Um, Going to be, I'm going to, the title of the message is Total Surrender. So, and Total Dependence. 
Um, so I'm going to read the passage in just a second, but I want to just throw a quick disclaimer out. So when I, my dad asked me, hey, do you want to do this? And I was kind of like, uh-uh, <laughs> not really. But um, I had just heard a message on this exact point. He, his message was called Zero One Hundred. Um, so zero of you, 100% God. Um, so I'm using some of the stuff from his sermon in mind tonight. So I can't take all the credit for everything I say tonight. But um, as you, we read in Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus says to, um, gets the disciples to get on a boat and go to the other side of the sea, which is just a big lake. Um, so then in verse 23, it says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when he the even, evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Jesus, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. So here tonight I'm going to be talking about how Peter walked on water. So when I was a kid, we had this pool in our backyard. It was about maybe a foot or two deep. And me and Seth would have a lot of fun just playing around in the hot weather before we had school. And we would, you know, be playing like kids. And I'm like, I could walk on this water. It's only two feet deep. It's not that hard. So we tried. We both tried and tried and tried. And we never did it. It was impossible. It wasn't hard because if it was hard, we would just have to try harder. It was impossible. We couldn't do it on our, by ourselves. We had to have some um, different other force helping us. So tonight I want to um, first of all start with asking a question. How much of the Christian life are you, and how much of the Christian life is God? So, the beginning of 
the Christian life starts at salvation. Is salvation 90% you or 90% God and 10% you? Of course not. You can't do anything to get saved. You can't, it's not even 99% God and 1% you. You can't do anything. It's zero you, 100% God. You can't pray to Mary. You can't do anything. You can't, you can't save yourself by doing good works or anything. You have to just believe in God. And that's in um, Acts uh, 17, verses 30 through 32. It's talking about um, Paul and Silas in the jail of Philippians. Um, and it says, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. So all you have to do to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the same in the Christian walk. You just have to believe in God that he will get you through whatever you're going through. You can't do anything but believe God will help you through it. So back to Peter walking on water. We know that Peter walked on water, but it's impossible. So how did he do it? I've tried. I couldn't do it. He had this little thing called faith in God. And it said there in the verses I just read that it was little faith. Jesus said when he was picking him up out of the water, O ye of little faith. I think that is quite a big faith to step out on water, that the waves are really tall, and it's how deep, really deep, too deep for me. I can't swim in stuff. I can't touch the ground. I don't like doing that. Um, but... He believed God would help him get to him. And, but once he took his eyes off God and looked at the waves and his faith withered, he had the faith of a mustard seed that he could move mountains when he stepped out on that water. And he wasn't trusting in any of his strength when he did that. I mean, he used his strength for God, but... He wasn't using it as his, like, he wasn't trying to use it. You get the idea, right? <laughs> um, so he was, um, I'm going to get back to my notes here. Um, it says, and Jesus said in Matthew seventeen twenty, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So if we have faith as a mustard seed, what could we do? Could we walk on water? Or something less crazy, could we just go witness to somebody, as Brother Jared was just saying? Could we um, be humble? We just have to have faith. And so, 
at what happened, he started sinking. He prayed not long, not a long prayer. You don't have to you when you start sinking, which you will, in your Christian walk, you will be striving with faith, but like Peter, you will sink. You will start failing in your Christian walk. It will happen. It has happened so many times to me. And all I have to do is just pray. And not a long prayer like, Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for... If Peter did that, he would have been shark bait. He would not have lived. But he just said, Lord, save me. And praise the Lord, he did save him. And I believe Peter walked back to that boat. So he had faith again. He didn't just lose his faith. He got it back. And so when we fail, we need to pray to God that he will forgive us and then believe once again. And I'm going to end in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for letting me preach tonight. Um, Thank you for all of the men that preach tonight as well. Help us to have um, a great rest of the night. Help us to go about our week with the stuff we have just um, learned from you. And dear Jesus, amen. Thank you, Luke, for that message and for the reminder to keep our eyes on the Lord and to keep trusting him. He's able to keep us afloat, so let's keep our eyes on him, and uh, I'm thankful for his power. I love the fact that, okay, what was it, Matthew 16? 14, I mean, Matthew 14. Um, I love when when Peter prayed, uh, Lord, save me, the Bible says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. He didn't go, well, let me just see a wonder out there for a little while. This is kind of fun. Look at you sinking. That's pretty funny. No, it was immediately. He reached him out. He reached out his hand. I love that. Um, we have a good God, don't we? So, men, thank you very much. Y'all did an outstanding job.